confused in that, that you are a good father. Far behind, beyond any human earthly father could ever hope to be. A perfect example of you. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us what your father is like. We did not know him. And what his character was like to the extent of who he was until we saw you. And we learned what he was like through your love. We learned what he was like through your sacrifice and your kindness. Jesus, you were the perfect revelation of who your father is, who he was, and who he will forever be. We rest in his mercy. We rest in his grace. Spirit, be present tonight. Help us feel you, God. Not because we need to feel you, but because we long to feel you. We trust in you. We believe in who you are. And we long to be in relationship and present with you. We know we have that. But we love when we can feel you near to us. We love when you are close. We love when we can say with assurance that you were present with us tonight. Give me the words tonight, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, tonight we'll finish up John chapter 16. We've spent many weeks now, I don't even know how many weeks, actually, I'd have to go back and look, in this final discourse between Jesus and his disciples. We've got one week after tonight, and it is the closing prayer that Jesus gives. That's where we're heading next week. Jesus is going to end his conversation with the disciples this evening, and next week he will pray over them and over us. His high priestly prayer that he prays over his disciples. The disciples then and his disciples. Now we are actually mentioned in scripture. In John 17. Those who would come to believe. On account of the testimony of his first disciples. Last week we were in John uh, 16 as well. But remember last week we talked about his spirit coming and what his spirit would do, that his spirit would convict the world in terms of righteousness, of sin and and judgment, of those three things. And we talked about the judicial connotation of that, that is talking about a legal conviction that the world is being prosecuted by the spirit. And in the same way, he's a witness for the defense in our stead. And in his graciousness, he allows people to feel the weight of that guilt, the weight of that verdict, so that they might change and become part of the church and no longer of the world. And Jesus is finishing. He's realizing he's just spoke about the Spirit and the coming Spirit who will be characteristic of the new age, the coming age that's inaugurated 
well, really with Jesus' incarnation, but in a special way, in a unique way, in Jesus' death and his resurrection. The true new covenant is not enacted until he pours out his spirit, and he's just been speaking about that spirit who is going to come. So Jesus knows that his time is short, and he's speaking of what's to come. And so he reminds his disciples, verse 16 of chapter 16, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now the disciples are still completely overwhelmed. They're still beside themselves as, as the news of their, their master's impending death is being told to them. They're still confused. Jesus says so many things that seem cryptic to them. And again, they have no context for a Messiah that would die and, and raise again. They, they don't understand that. And of course, in their mind, the Messiah is one who will defeat their enemies and make Jewish rule happen. It'll be, it'll be salvation for the nation of the Jews. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away. You're not going to see me anymore. But then it'll be a little while and you'll see me again. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they're baffled. Again, maybe they have some sense of his impending death like we talked about a few weeks ago. That's finally starting to grasp Jesus is speaking about leaving the earth. But man, Jesus is not laying it plainly for them. And it's easy from our side of the, the cataclysmic event of Jesus' death and resurrection to look back and be like, it's so obvious what he's talking about. It's so obvious. It's obvious to us because we had the benefit of them teaching us what it meant. To them, it was not obvious. To them, it was overwhelming. It was out of their realm of possibility that their Messiah who had come would die. We can see because they first saw what the Spirit had to teach them. In part in this Gospel, right? The Gospel of John, written under the power of the Spirit by John. We can understand because we have his testimony. His testimony to what Jesus' death and resurrection meant. For they were saying, what is he talking about? What is Jesus going on about? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this? That I said a little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice. Mm. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, 
She no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. That's my wife's favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> she loves that verse. Their grief is going to come and it will be heavy, it will be severe, and yet when the, the thing has ended, at the end of the day they will find out that they have a joy that cannot be taken from them. He says, in that same way, therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. There's a possible background here I thought it was worth reading, because one of the things we, we often don't know is that that birth imagery has a, a long Old Testament background. It's used in many places. And one of the places is Isaiah 26. That's the background I'm going to read to you tonight. And again, it's not quoted from, right? This is not a quote from Isaiah 26. So I, I can't say with certainty this is the exact thing Jesus was thinking of. But I want to read it to you. I want you to listen to all the ties that are spoken about. Resurrection is mentioned. The pain of labor is mentioned. A little while is mentioned. All these things Jesus are saying are coming straight from the Old Testament. This is Isaiah 26. I'm starting in verse 11. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, yet they do not see it. They see your zeal for the people and are put to shame. Indeed, fire will devour your enemies. This is about judgment. Judgment. Lord, you will establish peace for us. His people. You will establish peace for us since you have also performed for us all our works. O Lord, our God, other masters beside you have ruled us. The ruler of the world. Remember, Jesus has just mentioned that. But through you alone we confess your name. The dead will not live. The departed spirits will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them, and you have wiped out all remembrance of them. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. O Lord, your people, they, sought you in distress. They could only whisper a prayer. Your chastening was upon them. As the pregnant woman approaches the time to give birth, she writhes and cries out in her labor pains. Thus were we before you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed in labor. Listen to the difference. We gave birth as it seems, only to wind. They birthed nothing. We could not accomplish salvation for the earth. Nor were inhabitants of the world born, but your dead God will live. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the, in the dust, awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until indignation runs its course. For behold, the Lord is about to come out from his place. Mm to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. 
and the earth will reveal her bloodshed and will no longer cover her slain. In judgment is found salvation. Those two concepts are tied. God is coming out to judge the earth and yet mm -hmm. his people will find salvation. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he even has said so, hasn't he? He says, now is the time for the ruler of this world to be judged, and he has already been condemned. He's already been condemned. Jesus is going to the cross both to save his people and to judge the earth. That's what Isaiah 26 is talking about. And what we often forget when we hear that verse, that birthing verse, that the hour has come and you're grieving, but guess what? You're not going to remember it because your joy will overcome you. In the Old Testament, that is a symbol of the coming age. The pain of the old age gives way to the joy of the new age. The pain of being pregnant and in labor actually produces something of great value which is a child, or in this case, the new coming age. That's what Jesus is referring to. And unlike in the Old Testament when his people were in labor pain and gave birth only to win because they wind because they could not accomplish salvation, Jesus is going to do it. It will not be as birthing wind. It will be like a child that's been born, a new age given to us. And in that metaphor, Jesus says, same way you two are in grief now, but guess what? I'm going to see you again. And then no one will take your joy from you. Jesus goes on, verse 23. In that day, in that day, in that day is always terminology for the new age. That coming day. That coming day that I'm about to make happen. Jesus says, in that day, you will not question me about anything. Mm -hmm. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Jesus says, I have been your intermediary. No longer is it going to be something that you have to do where you ask me and I go ask the Father. He's going to go on to say, but you yourselves can ask the Father. He says, you've never prayed in my name up to this point. And yet, from now on, when this coming age happens, you will ask in my name, and the Father will give it to you, because you act in my name. You act as Jesus' representatives on earth. And so therefore the Father will give you what you ask for. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming. When I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly, openly, of the Father. In that day, 
you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Jesus says, and obviously, let me, let me make this disclaimer, obviously, the only reason we have a relationship with the Father is because Jesus has been our mediator. Clearly. We know that. Jesus is the one who opened the way to the Father, and it's actually in Him alone that we have the ability to be with the Father, to commune with Him, to have relationship with Him. But, Jesus also makes a specific point to say, it's not just me asking on your behalf. You are literally speaking to the Father yourself. Why? Because He Himself loves you. It's not just me. It's not just me that somehow I have to take all your requests and pass them on to the Father. No. The Father hears you because He loves you. It's not like God was the big judge who said, let's, let's wipe all these people out. And Jesus was like, no God, I've got a better idea. That's not what happened. In fact, we know, even earlier in this gospel, and of course the most famous verse in all of the Bible that most everyone, even non-Christians, knows, John 3.16, of course, what for God so loved the world. That's speaking of the Father. The Father so loved the world, He made a plan to save it. So Jesus says in this moment, it's not just, Jesus says in this moment, excuse me, it's not just that somehow I have to pass on your request because God won't listen to you and he only listens to me. And So give me your request and I'll give them to him and I'll change his mind. No, Jesus says you have access to the Father because he loves you personally. He personally loves you. But listen to this, why does he love them? Jesus says, he loves you. He loves you because you have loved me. He loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from him. There is a contingency. Part of the reason the Father loves us. Now, no doubt, he loves the world. That's what we talked about, John 3, 16. He, he loves his enemies. He hopes they will turn and repent. But the unique love that he has for Christians is in part, in a large part, because we have loved his son and believed that his son is who he says he is and that he came from God. And then Jesus tells them plainly, in the same way I came from the Father and entered the world, so too I am now leaving and going back to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Oh, we get it. We get it. And now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. 
By this we believe that you came from God. They give this great saying of belief. Man, we, we get it, Jesus. Okay, you're finally making sense. You came as the Messiah. You're leaving, going back to your Father. We get it. We get it. And we know. We know. You know all things. We've seen that again and again and again throughout the gospel. We know, Jesus, you know all things. We've walked with you. And by this we know no one needs to question you. And we know that you came from the Father. Man, these disciples believe. They believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. What's Jesus' response to this great profession of their faith in him? He questions it. He questions it because he knows what's about to happen. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Do you now believe? Has it taken you this long to believe? Guess what? An hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each one to his own home, and you will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. As was true of Peter, now Jesus says about all of the disciples. Peter gives a great profession of faith, and the Lord says to him, Really? You'll die with me? I tell you the truth, three times you will deny me before the rooster crows. Mm. And now all the disciples, they think the same thing. Hey, we'll be with you forever. We know you're the Messiah. We know. We know and we believe that you came from the Father. And Jesus says, Oh, do you? Do you? Because I'm telling you, you will all abandon me and I will be left alone. All my disciples will abandon me and betray me and I will be left with nothing. But I am not left with nothing because my Father is always with me. Jesus is content. Content in the relationship he has with his father. And when every human companion he has turns their back on him, Jesus knows his father walks with him. And I'm sure the disciples are, again, one of two things. They're probably either crushed, and they believe what Jesus says, and they're crushed because they think it's true, or they're... Like, oh, there's no way. You could see either of those being the case. There's no way. We love Jesus too much. We're not going to do that. I don't even know what he's talking about. Jesus ends with this encouragement. This wrap-up of, of all the things he's been saying to them. It says, all these things I'm saying to you, I've spoken to you so that in me you might have peace. In me you would find peace. He says, in this world, you're, 
going to have tribulation. Mm -hmm. Take courage. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus ends on that note that what he has spoken to them, he said that they might find peace because unlike the world where they will have great trouble, it is in Christ that they have peace. But that peace can only be won by the fact that Jesus has overcome the world, which is what he is about to do. Jesus needs to conquer the world, and how is he going to do it? He's going to go to the cross. In that, the world will look at it and see it as his great defeat. And to those whom the Spirit has enlightened, they will know it is actually God's great victory. When he goes to the cross, he overcomes the world. So he says... In me you will have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. But don't fear. Take courage. Have heart. I've overcome the world. That's where we end tonight. Grieving our Messiah's impending death. That knowing that in that death he overcomes the world because we have already seen and lived the other side. Unlike the disciples, we know where this ends up. We know where this leads. And they did not. And I grieve for them to think about their pain. To think about the weight and intensity of what they experienced that night. But Jesus reminds them, even in their confusion and despair, that he's overcoming the world, that he has overcome the world, and that they will find peace in him. They have great grief, and yet that grief will become a joy that will never be taken from them. And what they thought about in that night, what they only could dream about, the access to the Father, that the Father would love them, because they love Jesus and that they could speak and pray directly to the Father in Jesus' name what they dreamed about in that day. We have the ability to do. Sure. To pray in Jesus' name and have direct access to the Father because He loves us. And so, in honor of all the things Jesus spoke tonight in John 16, I thought it would be appropriate for us to take some time to pray. So Tyler's going to come up here and just play, uh, play, a, play a song for us. And he's just going to play, and we're just going to close our eyes, spend maybe the next five minutes praying, just to ourselves, just spending time with the Lord. And then we're going to come back together, and maybe that's what you'll use your time for. Maybe what you'll use your time for is thinking of things you would like prayer for. But we're going to go ahead and we're going to just close our eyes and all pray until Tyler plays. And then we're going to come together and share our requests and pray for one another. Pray for one another that, that we know that the Lord loves to give His children what they ask for in Jesus' name. That's what it says. It says that whatever we ask, 
in Christ's name, the Father will give to us. And so we're going to align our hearts with his tonight and then pray for one another, seeking God's face, seeking an answer from him, just like the kids sang about tonight, that we can ask. We can ask and we can seek. But let's pray.
you tonight. Grateful for everything that prayer is. Grateful for all the opportunity afforded to us to be able to speak with you. Lord, we're thankful we can come to you and confess our sins and find forgiveness and cleansing for them. We are grateful we can come to you and tell you our fears that you might give us courage. We're grateful that we can come to you and tell you our worries and our pains and our grief that in you we might find comfort. We're grateful we can come to you and tell you our victories and our joys that we might find a rejoicing Father who sings over us. Lord, thank you for opening a way for us to have that conversation with you. The eternal conversation. The conversation of the things that matter most in life. The things of depth and meaning, which is everything. We can communicate everything with you. From small moments of relaxation and joy and comfort the deepest hurts that human hearts could know. All of it is on the table with you. There is nothing we have to be afraid or too scared to say to you. There is nothing that you don't care about that we could choose to communicate to you. Nothing that you are too big for. Even the smallest of things. Even the cares of a small child matter to you. Even a scraped knee. Is meaningful to you. And thank you that there's nothing, nothing that you're too small for, nothing that could be out of your hand. Nothing that could just get away from you. Your hand is mighty enough to deal with every problem, every pain we could ever face. God, help us to have the courage and the openness to do those things with you, to share them with you, to make a point of running to you first, to make a point of making our lives revolve around that conversation that we have with you, God. Help us keep that at the forefront of our minds. Help us keep that in our hearts, Lord. We love your voice. We love that we get to hear your voice. It is our salvation. Your word. Your word who became flesh is our salvation. Your spirit that you breathed out 
is our cleansing and our mercy. He is our washing away of sin. He is our grace and our love that we share with one another, Lord. In your spirit, we find unity of purpose, of mind. Unity that cannot be broken. The bond of your spirit is greater than that. In your son, we've found our own relationship to you. Our own connection to you through him. When we were far from you, he brought us near. When there was a wall of hostility, he broke it down. Help us to not take that closeness for granted. Help us to recognize both the specialness and the sacredness of that connection. We pray all of these things in your precious Son's name and by your Spirit's unending power. Amen. Amen.